Hey there, everybody. Robin Roberts here from Good Morning America. And guess what? Mm-hmm. We're back. This is season two of Everybody's Got Something. If you're joining us again, welcome back. If you're listening for the first time, we're thrilled to have you. Everybody's Got Something is a phrase my mama always said and something I've always believed in. We have quite the cast of characters lined up again for you this time. Everyone from the iconic Patti LaBelle to one of my favorite authors, Andy Andrews, sitting down to share what they've learned along their journeys. However, I have to kick this season off with one of the edgiest, smartest, and funniest podcasts we've ever done. Gabourey Sidibe. Yep, the star from the acclaimed movie Precious and Fox's smash hit Empire joined me to talk about taking her talents off the screen and how she opened up in her much-awaited memoir, This Is Just My Face, with full-throttle honesty. She talks about her version of the American experience. Buckle up. You've been warned. You can feel it in your heart. Feel it in your soul. Everybody's got a little something Something that makes them feel gold You know, I got my start in radio. Robin, you're doing? Yes, I am. Why, yes, yes, I am. All of a sudden, I have my radio voice. (laughs) Actually worked... WFPR 14 country, hometown country friends, it's 947. Whoa. In college, because I wanted to be the sports director, and then these little bubbas would call, you sound pretty. I'm like, you do not want to take me home. You don't know what I look like. (laughs) You'd be so good at phone sex. Yeah. (laughs) You'd be amazing at it. If you want, I can give you pointers. Oh, my I hope you're rolling. This is gold. <laughs> you would make the honestly, your Thank voice you. is perfect for dominant. Oh, for dominant. Like there's a domination line. You'd be great for dominant for domination, girl. Oh, I hope you're rolling with that. We'll get back to that. <laughs> okay, I know. All of a sudden, if I could be, I'd be blushing. Gabaray Sidibe. Gabaray Sidibe. I'm not saying Gabby. Gabaray Sidibe. Because I read you don't like. You think it's lazy if someone just says Gabby. <laughs> your book i read it i read it i read it i read it read it <sighs> yeah i used to hate being called gabby um but i it, it really like when i was 14 i let it go okay but so i'm okay. always impressed when people say my full name okay okay but it's okay since i, I yeah call you, yeah you can call me whatever oh yeah. uh, thank you for spending some time with us thank you so much for having me everybody's got something i just i'm, I'm doing the southern version something <laughs> you know something something um big time fan admirer of you even before I read your book but especially after reading your book girlfriend you didn't hold back <laughs> you did not hold back you know what I I'm, okay I took three years to write this book and I like joke that it's by me for me because I was doing some real like therapy like therapeutic work while writing and so um, if I held anything back like I wouldn't have gotten the work if that makes sense. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been you Mm-mm. because you live your life out loud. And let me let's let's start because, you know, a lot of people precious. <laughs> I'm sure you're still getting Hey Precious yeah. people yell at you. And- yeah, I was on twenty third and eighth yes on seventh yesterday uh-huh. and a truck driver yelled precious at me and then pulled over his truck so that I could uh, take a picture with him. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How does that make you feel? 
Um, I'm really proud of my accomplishments. I'm you proud should. to have been a part of something that people remember. But I also really miss my name. Mm. I really love my name. Yeah. But you know, they're saying... It's a compliment in so Absolutely. many in so many ways, but I, I could see where as a, it'd be a little mixed also. Yeah, because it, people really think that you're precious. They really think that you went through like you went through your own stuff that we're going to talk about, <laughs> but you didn't go through some of the things that Precious the character did. No, and she's you know an iconic character in her own right. right. Um, but there's a way that I I feel like she's completely separate from me. For one, I was 24 years old when I filmed that, um, and and Precious was even younger. Precious was 16. And yeah, she went through a lot of things and she, uh, you know, she was a, a statistic in a lot of ways. Right. And so she was very far from who I, not only who I was at the time, but who I've grown to be. I'm mm. almost 34 years old. And it, 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 even though I'm very proud, it also pains me to be compared to my first job. It, it, it takes me right back to being 24 years old and I'm 34. Yeah. You know. And you've done a, your body of work since that time, yeah. too, has been incredible. Yeah. Love you on Empire. Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm proud of, mo- uh, you know, like, I'm proud of everything I do. And I'm also proud of what Precious does for people. And I know that I. What do you like, mean by that? Well, I, I get a lot of people who say, you know, I was abused like Precious. I was molested. And um, I've gone through this or I, you know. I have HIV and, you know, things yeah. that precious are. I learned to read when I was 40 and I didn't know how to read, you know, mm. that sort of thing. And um, so she means something to people uh, in a way that I personally don't mean to people. Like it, her as a character is, uh, you know, people connect to her and that I'm really, really proud of that. And the film, you know, what's so great about it? Humanity. Mm-hmm. That's it. At the, you know, it's, it's not so much, you know, yeah, you could say gender, and all, but it's just... I think that's why so many people can relate to it. And I'm sure that there are people from all walks of life who come up to you and say, hey, that was my story. Absolutely. The core of that story is humanity. And you're right. It's, mm-hmm. it's got nothing to do with gender or sexuality or or race or body type or any of those things. It's human. It's humanity. Mm-hmm. You were so young when you did Precious. Okay. No, you were. Okay. You were, you were. But the thing is, you know, uh, Mariah Carey and everyone else on the film, they're established. They got money. Yeah. You hadn't really been paid yet. You had, but the movie hasn't, you know, you've shot the movie, but it hasn't come out. So you have people who have seen it, you know, behind the scenes going, oh, girl, you're going you're gonna to be a star. And you're still living with your mom mm-hmm. and just trying to make ends meet? Yeah, I remember once I was, uh, I recall the other day that uh, I went to, an. <laughs> do you remember internet cafes? Sure, sure. Because I didn't have, I think there's something busted about my computer or something like that, and I didn't have a printer, so I went to print something. And I went to, um, I went down to the internet cafe that probably is a wall, you know, <laughs> yeah, wall probably now, yeah. now. And um, I Googled myself and I saw that I was on a list like an early Oscars contender list. And I I called the producer of the film, Lisa Cortez, and I was like, um, huh, I'm on a list and I don't, is this real? What is happening? Do I need to do anything? And she's like, chill. <laughs> yeah, people think you're going to be nominated. For, but I'm telling wow. you, it was like a year before the film came out. And so, um, but it's the the weirdness of 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 having to carry this huge thing 
uh, and you know, living in an apartment where my mom is living, my mom sleeps right. on a day bed in the mm-hmm. living room uh, so that my brother and I can have a room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point we were evicted, like, you know, just going through money struggles and wondering, I know, I know eventually this film is going to be coming out and there'll be a premiere and how am I going to, how will I afford a premiere dress? Will I have to go to the wow. Mac store to get my makeup done? Like all of these mm. things swirling through my head. Like, you know, it's, and I say at some point, I say, you know what, knowing that something good was coming for me was just as scary as knowing that something bad was Ooh, coming for me. That's deep. I'm deep. Wow. <laughs> I'll get in there. You get in there, girl. <laughs> Mix it up. No, but that's, you know, we, we're, I'm so glad you phrased it like that because we often think about that we're afraid of the bad, but you were just as fearful of the good that was coming your way. Absolutely. Would you be able to? So how did you manage that time? I mean, you still got to, you know, you still got to make ends meet. You're, um, you're on the red carpet. I mean, that's a, just a whole different world. I mean, um, but to, to be there with Mariah and the Paula Pattons and that, and then you have to be, and you write about it. You write about, you know, how would you feel having to be there and not having the money to have the dress? And you don't, they have a hair and makeup team. They have the whole mm-hmm. glam squad. So psychologically, how did you, how did you get through that period of time? You know what? I realized, look, we're, we all have our own um, awkwardness. And I'm realizing that what I do with awkwardness is I lean in. Mm. Instead of pretending everything's fine or that it didn't happen or even letting it take me down, I just kind of lean in. I'm like, yep, I have to stand next to Paula Patton and Mariah Carey, who is wearing a million dollars of jewelry, you know, because it's a light day. Right. (laughs) And I'm wearing Payless shoes and I'm wearing a top I bought at a mall over some shorts and I don't know what I'm doing and I had a flat I had to flat iron my own weave right. and um this is just what it is and so like I kind of lean in and that's what I did until somebody else stepped in like as soon as we had as so like because um because Precious was an independent film right. uh <laughs> we had to get a studio to back us once it like premiered at you know Sundance and stuff and so once the studio Lionsgate stepped in and they got me a hair and makeup team and, mm. and a stylist and all that stuff. And then I just like it was Jesus taking the wheel. <laughs> and so I just I just chilled yeah. and I was cool until it happened. But it was second by second. The director, Lee Daniels, champion of yours. <laughs> a champion of yours early on. But when I was reading the book and you were talking about the story about how excited he was because you're gonna be on the cover of Vogue. <laughs> And then you race over to his apartment and you hear this conversation outside the door. Tell everybody about that. So I heard uh, Lee Daniels, who is my director, Mm -hmm. uh, talking to Andre Leontali, who was the, I believe, the editor at large Mm -hmm. at uh, Vogue. Vogue. And um, they were talking about how they were going to put my fat black ass on the cover of Vogue. And, it's and they ba- use those words like that. Well, yeah, that fat black bitch is going on the cover uh-huh. of the magazine, mm-hmm. which is um, so they were talking about my fat black ass, but they were also talking about me on the cover of Vogue. And so it's a very it's a strange feeling to go from feeling insulted, but excitement and pride. And also it just like Oof. it felt really weird. And I felt I felt really insulted. And my feelings were hurt. Because I had convinced myself that, um, you know, being in... Okay, so I was, I've was i always been a fat, 
dark-skinned little girl with hair that was too nappy, quote-unquote, and, you know, and so uh, and ugly or whatever it is. And um, that wasn't cool in elementary school or junior high school or high school, but it was kind of fine once I graduated from high school. The world became... Uh, less about looks mm-hmm. because, and I just became a regular person and it was rude to tell me that I'm fat I know and so people you know society was sort of fine but that was before I was famous and I kind of thought huh. at some point that okay even though I'm fat and dark skinned and all these things that people have made fun of me for my entire life ha 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 I'm actually the number one like I'm yeah. I'm the star of this movie so <laughs> and that's not what I am anymore. Mm-hmm. I kind of convinced myself that being an actress meant that I wasn't ugly. and Or fa- not, not even ugly. It meant that I wasn't fat or too black anymore. Right, right. But hearing that even though I was this thing, even though they thought I was really talented, that I'm still what the kids in junior high school said. Mm. I had to learn that there was no way that I was going to out-talent the way the world sees me. And that's what I learned overhearing that conversation. And it was really hurtful, but it was eye-opening. And on top of that, it shows you the the power of words. The thing is, like, we put power into words. Yes, we do. We put our intentions into words. And I call my friends bitch all the time because they're my friends, and that's the way we talk to each other. And so it was, you know, Lee has struggled with his weight. Yes, Andre Leon Talley, who I had never seen. I didn't know what you he had looked to, like. When, you, when he told you. I had to, to Google him. Yeah, I didn't know. What do I know about Vogue? I don't. I, I really grew up wanting to be a therapist. I didn't grow up, you know, looking at fashion magazines. I didn't know what Vogue really was mm-hmm. or what it meant. But Andre Leon Talley is also a very tall, black. Yes, he is. And, right. and heavy set man. And so it's almost like, yes, they were calling me a fat black bitch, but they're also fat black bitches. And so I wonder if it's there. Is it endearing? You know, like, is is there a camaraderie between them and what they see in me? And would it have been so important for Andre to put me on the cover of the magazine? Because that's the way of seeing himself on the cover of the magazine. There's something there. And so in this way, I'm not like, I don't want to demonize him or Lee for that matter. I know Lee loves me. And so it's, I mean, it just, words are interesting. (laughs) You know, reading it, I didn't, I didn't look at it as you were demonizing them. I tried not to. No, 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 no. I mean, and you explained it so well right there and you know probably they thought they didn't even realize the words well they didn't know you were you were listening but that that's beside the point Mm -hmm. but they're just feeling like they're so excited to have you on the cover of vogue but i never thought of it because you explained it very well describing both of those men and was were they inwardly looking at themselves Mm -hmm. but i think they were really truthfully excited about having unfortunately the cover never you, oh, you it ended, never happened. No, but you were in the. In I'm Vogue. Yeah, yeah, I I because I was a cover girl, and so I was in Vogue. So I'm sure I've been mentioned someplace or whatever. But no, I never got my Vogue cover shoot. Um, and that's also. Were you worried about that? Didn't you? Didn't you say how you that was uh, uh, scary to think about? No, 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 no. Actually, I like the way you <laughs> described how you thought that. Oh the, yeah, the shoot would go. My mermaid tail. Yeah. And diamonds thrown yeah. around about. <laughs> yeah, I um. Yeah, but that would have been, honestly, that would have been my dream photo shoot and magazine cover for anything. 
M-Y-O-B. Tell people what you mean by M-Y-O-B. Mind your own body. And I know that's hard for people to do because we're constantly... Um, and I also, it's, it's so misogynistic. It's... Uh, the way a body should look, when you think about the way a body should look, you think about what the way a woman's body should look. Mm-hmm. You know, we tell women what they need to look like and what they don't need to look like. What We better not catch you looking like this, you know, and what what they can do with it. Like I say that, you know, if I were a man, there are plenty of plus size. <laughs> Is it weird to call a man plus size? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. There are many, there are yeah. plenty of like, I guess, fat guys or whatever. And, you know, I don't want to name any, but like I'm sure that you can think of some. And no one's ever written think pieces about why they need to lose weight. True. No one's ever yeah. accused them while they were, you know, on a show promoting their film that they're actually promoting an unhealthy diet. But I was always like, there's all these think pieces on me and all of like, I mean, I, I did a sex scene in my, which is part of my job and on Empire. And I cannot, what it spawned was actually kind of insane. There were think pieces, there were memes, there were, um, there was a hashtag because people thought that I shouldn't be in a set or like I guess they don't think that fat people like love each other or get love or deserve love what is that about everyone's a person it's people people. It's like pe- people I know and and, and I, I get I get tongue tied this mm. thing because it makes me angry it's a lot it makes me angry you know uh there's just no room for that. There's no, and it's not even just about like weight. It's like, oh, if like a woman is, um, I don't want to say barren, but if a woman doesn't have, yeah. it's not even just barren. If you don't have children, it's like, what's wrong with you? You're of a certain age. Don't you want them? Are you thinking about freezing your eggs? It's like, can you mind your, can you mind your <laughs> own balls? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's another take off. Oh, yeah. Mind your own body and then go mind your own balls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. What were you like growing up? Like this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were you? Yeah. I was, I was a little, yeah, I was always getting in trouble um, for my mouth. And not because I was like cussing. I know that you assume that because I would. Oh, well, if you, I, I did read book. the book. <laughs> I do. Yes. A lot the, but I would never like no. curse in front of my parents. I'm right. very black that way. <laughs> oh, I wish somebody yeah. would. Like it's that kind of right, thing. Right, right. Uh, but I was self aware as a kid. Um, I was always really worried as a kid, like really worried, like how are we going to get out of this and, you know, what's going to happen and what's the future going to look like? I was always trying to predict things. Mm. Um, But I also was like, you know, I'm from Brooklyn originally and I grew up in Harlem and so I'm like a regular street punk kid, you know, cutting Uh class to go to 42nd Street or cutting class to hang out in St. Mark's and getting kicked out of, I once got kicked out of some... 16 and over club because my friends were smoking weed in the bathroom. I was not smoking weed in the bathroom, but it got kicked out anyway, and I was 16 years old. Um, <laughs> so I'm like the normal, I guess, New York kid. I'm the latchkey kid. Right. Um, and, and your it, brother? Got a brother? Yeah, I have an older brother. Mm-hmm. I have uh, tons of younger brothers as well, but uh, I live in the house of my older brother, and we were both latchkey kids. And there's nothing more. I'm very New York. There's nothing more New York than, than having an immigrant cab driver father and a mother that sings in the subway that's new york baby (laughs) only only in new york and talk about each first of all your mother i mean such talent such extreme and such a big heart the way you described earlier in the book too about how she wanted to make sure that you and your brother had 
your own room. She did. She did make sure that we had our own room um, once we finally got. So what happens, we, we lived in Brooklyn with my dad and their marriage broke up. And then we moved in with my aunt um, and we lived on two twin beds, the three of us. And then we had a studio apartment and we all lived, again, the three of us on a bunk bed. And then once we got an apartment with walls right. <laughs> and doors, um, it was a two bedroom apartment. My mother sacrificed and slept in the living room so that my brother and I could each have a bedroom because we were 15 and 16 years old. And that's mm. the time where, like, you know, boys need yeah. shower time. <laughs> And, Please. and girls need privacy and we all do you know um, and my mom was really great to do that for us she does have a really big heart like she you mm-hmm. know she cares for a lot of different people uh, and she is absolutely a fantastic uh, singer as well but it's wonderful that you have this real relationship with your mother like a lot of mother daughter like you didn't sugarcoat it you didn't make it sound worse or better it's just what it is and that you have your good times and then you have your challenging times but it comes back to she's your mom and you love her she's my mom i do love her if i'm being honest i um no i didn't sugarcoat it but i could have said worse for certain oh, okay, um okay. because mother-daughter relationships are so complicated Oof. There's anyone if you're a woman and you have yeah. a mother you know what it's like mm-hmm. it's um and i I love my mother. I mean, like, I talk about, like, a fight with her over something that we'd been fighting about for years. <laughs> right. it's, like, it's one of those things where just, like, why are we still doing this? But, like, it's because your your mother is your first best friend and also hmm. your first enemy in this weird way. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, she was so, for the most part, upbeat, positive. Mm-hmm. And then there was her father. Yeah. Uh, who you barely ever, you know, he didn't crack a smile. You know, he would tell, you know, occasional joke. Here, but yeah, my he, dad was I, a very serious man. And right. And you were like, well, how in the world <laughs> did these two hook up? <laughs> I always thought that they were so mismatched. And it, I mean, like we look, my parents didn't lie to us at all about anything. There are plenty of things they should have lied to us about. <laughs> no. But okay. they were very honest. Um, and so I knew that they didn't marry because they were in love with each other. They married because my father needed a green card. Um, even though eventually he got his citizenship and he's an American citizen now, they married so that he can get a green card and then they fell in love with each other, you know, a year or mm. so after they got married. But it always felt like this isn't right. <laughs> as a kid, you could even, even oh, since yeah. as a kid, you're like, um, hmm. oh, yeah. Yeah, this always felt. this always felt wrong. It felt like a hot, like if you're, like you're wearing a, an outfit and the left foot is a high heel and the right foot is a is a slipper like there's something God, off about right. it here and um and so it didn't it didn't work out it, you know it didn't and i'm i always think about i'm very like i'm very like butterfly um with the what is it the butterfly effect and like sliding doors like i always think that like if you turn left you'll have a completely different life if you, <laughs> than mm. if you turned right and so um i thank god we got out of brooklyn because the brooklyn that we lived in was not like the hi hello brooklyn <laughs> is currently a whole foods and nothing more right. like this not is what brooklyn is but, now yeah now. now but i'm born in 1983 the brooklyn that i went to is hey. like it's woo, yeah the brooklyn like yeah. i remember 
my if there were a party going on across the hall, my mom would make us army crawl because a hundred percent of the parties ended in gunfire, Ooh. and that's the Brooklyn I grew up in. And so um, we were out. Like it was really really good for us to leave, even though my my father still lives in the neighborhood. It was I would have had a completely different life if I hadn't left. Yeah. For well, certain. I'll let people read the book about your daddy and all <laughs> all his um <clears throat> Yeah, he had a lot going on. He had a lot, a lot going on. He got a lot He's going a lover. On. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll, we'll leave we'll leave it at that. Funny thing is apparently he must be really charismatic. And I think he is. I don't think I saw that when I was a kid, but uh-huh. like he's like now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, I well, guess he's kind of handsome or whatever, well, yeah. and and charming. Must be, must be, because he's got he he doesn't lack for company. Mm-mm. Well, we'll, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't lack for company. Okay, so you're doing all these little different jobs uh, <laughs> and reading. <laughs> um, one was um, um, sex phone operator. Uh, Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. I absolutely was a phone sex operator operator. for a bit. Yeah, from the ages of 21, I got the job when I was 21 years old. I left when I was 24, Mm -hmm. and I left to film Precious. So what were you doing before Precious? (laughs) Uh, Well, actually... For years, the way I answered the question, I'd say, oh, I was a receptionist and a monitor. Which you were. Which I was. I just didn't say it was for a phone text company. Right. (laughs) And that you later became the receptionist there, but yeah, yeah, you moved on up. Correct. Right. Uh, I got promotion. So I started as a phone text operator. What was that like? Um, uh, it was a lot like improv, honestly. Mm. I mean, okay, so I think I think that, you know, the average person thinks that, oh, phone sex operating. You're a phone sex talker. So someone calls you and you moan and then they get off and then you're done. No, 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 no. The actual job is to keep the caller on with your conversation oh. for as long as possible. And a lot of times, actually, this is like this is like an insider tip. Okay, it's okay. about to blow right. the industry up. All right. A lot of callers that call phone sex uh-huh. don't know they're calling phone sex. What do you mean they don't know they're calling phone sex? So I don't know if you watch TV at all at night. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I've seen those opera- yeah, I've seen yeah, those things, right? Those like calls. Yeah. So, call local singles. Mm-hmm. You know, in your area, those guys call. The girl that picks up is a phone sex operator, but they don't know that, so they think they have to charm her. into. Oh. So you can be on the phone with them for 40 minutes or something, collecting minutes, collecting coins, and um, really not folks? give up any sex at all really i've seen those ads mm-hmm. so that's what it's all about not all of them I but, assume, but but more but than more, i more, think a healthy more, bunch more. yeah <laughs> you know i got my start in radio you know <laughs> wfpr 14 country hometown country friends since 1947 i didn't think about using that skill to be able to get paid maybe a little i, I got paid what uh minimum wage minimum wage yeah. what was it then oh you wish no okay, i mean like, <laughs> 
when I was going to school. What do you mean? I think that they know. I just know that they raised the, the minimum wage. Oh, and I don't remember what it was. Backstroke. Backstroke. Was it like, I know it's like $7. 550. Okay. 550. 550. 550. An hour. 550 an hour. So, okay. So here's how it um, as long as you have a landline, but if you came into the office, you would make it's like nine dollars an hour Ooh. plus minutes. So every minute that you're on the phone for the first ten minutes, you're making ten cents a minute. So it's nine an hour plus ten cents a minute for each call. But after ten minutes, the minutes the coins raise to twenty cents. Also, here are a lot of ways that you can make money. Oh, please do tell. So there's something called, okay, so everyone gets a girl number. My girl number was 1,266, 1,260. I was Melody, 1,266. Oh, you know how many people right now, when you just said that, went, oh. Boing. They, <laughs> they're like, okay, well, that's good, that's good. So uh. I was Melody, 1,266. So if you liked me. If we talked on Tuesday and you really liked me and you had my girl number and my girl name, if you called me back, if you called back and said, I want to talk to Melody 1266, I make $2 Woo! before I even pick up the phone. Woo! Now, so that's $2 plus plus the $9 an hour plus the 10 cents a minute. And I'm going to talk to you for an hour. So, so it'll be 10 cents a minute and then 20 and then 30 and then come on. I'm getting banked. But <laughs> there's another way to, to, to get money. So there are something called samples. So you call the line and you're like, if you are calling a line that's like horny housewives or so. And so there, there's Jessica, there's Brenda, there's Amber. And they're all, so it's like a commercial. It's like, I'm Amber. My husband's at, in the war. So I'm really lonely waiting for him to come back. Call me. So there's that. If you like Amber's voice. Oh, can we use that? That's, that's my girlfriend's <laughs> name. Off. No, my, my, girl, my girlfriend's <laughs> name is Amber, so can okay. we use another example? Jennifer. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, like, Woo. if you like Jennifer, right, thanks. then you call, you like Jennifer based on her little sample, her commercial. If you choose her, she makes about, I think, 20 cents before saying hello. Ah. 20 cents, maybe 50 cents. Okay. Maybe it was a dollar. Okay. That seems kind of yeah. low. But, so, <laughs> so that was when I was a talker. Now, I was promoted to reception pretty quickly. Um, I was there for two months and, and I was promoted to being a receptionist because it was an office. There was uh, the human resources, there were supervisors, there were security, there's a lot of other ways to make money in this. But you don't get the you don't get the minutes when you're well, a receptionist. So you can so actually can, make less money. Wow. But it's more dignified. But when I became a monitor, monitor meaning that I would actually so there are FCC regulations as mm -hmm. you know, I'm yes, sure. Ma'am. So the same FCC regulations that you have to abide by, I had to abide by as a phone sex worker. I couldn't talk about anything of a sexual nature pertaining to a minor. Uh, no drugs of any kind. Right. I'm talking cocaine to Advil. No weapons. Uh, no blood. No guts. No murder. We couldn't talk about that. All that at was all. off limits. Mm -hmm. The FCC would shut us down. Yeah. So my job as a monitor was to make sure the girls were being nice because there are plenty of men that call up sniffing cocaine and they want to talk about it and you can't. Ooh. And so I would have to stop them. But while I was a monitor. As it turns out, I was a pretty dope writer. As you will see if you read, this is just my face. And so I would actually write the samples. I was writing commercials for the Ambers, for the, sorry, not the Ambers, I don't the Jennifer. Amber. My, I'm sorry, oh, Amber. Okay. My apologies. <laughs> I would write commercials for these girls that couldn't do it themselves because they weren't as imaginative. Uh -huh. um, and I was really good at it. It was just 
you know, an extra thing in my job. How much did you enjoy writing this? Your book. This is just my face. I love the picture. So I kind of like, hmm. I really, you know what? I picked out that dress. I love that. I found it online. I was like, get me that dress. I want it. Perfect. I was real. I'm very, very excited. This felt like, it felt like the first time I was like really in charge of something. I enjoyed writing this book because I did not have to adhere to what somebody else wanted me to do mm. or what somebody else wanted me to say. Mm. There was no boss. It was me. And you are the boss. And you do talk about, which is important for especially young women to hear the depression that you went through, the therapy that you needed. And that you talk to teens. I know you've done a, a, a summit. Yeah, yeah, I am at the Apollo talking to the teens. And, and what are you really talking to them about? I think I'm going to talk about, um, I actually just directed a film. Uh, it's a short film mm-hmm. last summer. And so I'm probably going to talk about the importance of of making your own art possible and you being responsible for your own happiness the same way you're responsible for your unhappiness I'll probably touch a little bit on depression because I think it's so important especially for people of color to get therapy because I think that we tend to not why would I go to a doctor for a problem I can't see Mm. you know Um, but I needed it it's it's kind of like a taboo in, in, in the black community like uh, therapy Absolutely. and overall I mean we've been doing a lot and I love how across the pond uh, the royals are getting very involved in mental health oh, wellness and yeah and just really becoming because the youngest one Harry Harry Harry, Harry admitted that after his mom died oh yeah that he went into deep a, depression yeah. that his brother had to step in and help him and it's like we are afraid to talk about that I mean okay I had cancer you know when I had because can- I lost my hair mm-hmm. you know what cancer That's, is you can see that you can see that but you can't see necessarily when someone is depressed Mm-mm. and they're going through some some mental health issues. It really and it's just like I, I while I was writing this book, I was working with a woman, beautiful black woman, so smart, just amazing, amazing woman who who took her own life. Oh, and I talked to her about mm. therapy. I see a great therapist in Chicago where I live for nine months out of the year, and I just and she was just the latest in. A long list of specifically black people who were taking their own life. And I just did not want for one more black person to die because they couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel without knowing that they could absolutely get help just because we're not talking about it, just because we're ashamed to say. It's like what we do in the black community is we say, well, you just need to give that to Jesus. The thing is, Jesus didn't work for me the way they thought. I mean, like, it just, look, Jesus is definitely um, a huge part of my life and a Mm -hmm. a huge part of, you know, um, what I believe I am. But I had a medical problem. And that's it. And I had to get a doctor. I had to get medication involved. And that is, and is that not Jesus pushing me into the correct place because I pray to be where I need to be and where I needed to be was a doctor and you got one and where are you now now your journey (laughs) good (laughs) I mean when it comes to mental health the thing is I will have to deal with it my entire life sure we all will honestly all of us do um the things that are the struggles will be here forever um but I know 
what's going. I'm very self-aware, and I know when I need a little more. And little tune-up. Need a little tune-up every <laughs> yeah, now and again. Yeah. Also, honest, okay, so I see a therapist, and really just having 45 minutes to an hour a week where I don't have to worry about saying the wrong thing, monopolizing the conversation, or caring about how your week went. That is amazing, and we all need, <laughs> need to that. do that. I mean, it's worth the money. It's yeah. worth the insurance. I, I, I see a therapist on a regular basis, and I have since the passing of my father. He was so mm. important in our family and was just at a loss, and my mother was going through illnesses and stuff like that. And this is even before... You know, the, the bottom f- fell out Ugh, with, with me. Yeah. And I'm so glad that, and it's right, you're talking to someone, you know, they, they don't care. I mean, they, they, because as much as we try to say when we're talking to a friend that we can be honest with that person, you still want them to like you. So you, you, you hold back some things because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, if I tell her everything or tell mm-hmm. him everything, he's it'll change look. the relationship. Right. But with a therapist, blah. Yeah. Just put it out there. It's like throwing up. It's just, then you feel so much better. Yeah. And that's just all. I mean, that's, therapy is important for all of us. Yeah, I agree. So I, I was listening to you and you were talking about how uh, you, you, you love how people will come up and they whatever. But that when someone says to you, congratulations, you lost weight. <laughs> You're like, um, <laughs> Okay. It is the weirdest thing in the world. It's so weird. It's like, hi, this is my whole body. And like, I don't understand what you don't need me. You don't need to congratulate me on it. You don't congratulate me every time I blow my nose. I need it to. (laughs) It's in my body. But you do not need your congratulations. I mean, like the thing is, like, you know what? People want to feel like they have some sort of ownership over your body, even though you're a stranger. Mm. Um, and it's even worse when you're recognizable like me, where people feel like people want to root for me, for me, yeah. but they also want to be a part of it. Like even in reading this book, I'm realizing that like these are the things I've said. These are my opinions. This is my life. But this is who I am. This is my face. But people still will read it and see me through a filter of them. So when people say congratulations to me for losing weight, they want to feel like they have some part of it. They just do. It's like a weird thing. Yeah. They, they mean well. They, they, mean well. they mean well. They absolutely yeah. look. Yeah. Everybody means well. Like every compliment, they mean it as a yeah. compliment, whether it feels like a compliment or not, is up to me. But they Amen. absolutely mean well, and so I know, and I try not to cuss people out. <laughs> I don't. I really I, don't. You try not to. I try but not to. What's every, good? Is, I don't. I okay. really no, don't. No, I ain't got the no, time. No, no. <laughs> but the good thing is that, like, I mean, that's also stuff I go and work out through therapy. Like, I, I yeah. have a, I have. Have forty five minutes to an hour where I can like scream about the things that like feel like like it's touched me. Like I'm just like, ugh, please stop talking about my body. That ugh, it feels so icky. Stop touching me. Um, I go work that out someplace else because like I understand that people are coming from a good place yeah. and they're happy for me. So you have this wonderful book. This is just my face. You got your TV work. Where are you now professionally? Are you where you want to be? Where you want to go? What's your dream job? What you want to do from here? Ooh. Done so much already. <laughs> I've done so yeah. Much. So as we speak, uh-huh. currently I am an actress. 
Um, I'm a published author yes. as of today. I am a director. I directed my first <sighs> short film called The Taylor Four. It's an adaptation of a Nina Simone song oh. called The Four Women. And it's like kind of an obscure Nina Simone song. Um, but I, it was one of those things that I didn't think that I could do. I was very sure yeah. you're not smart enough. Your opinions are not important enough to direct something. And I learned that if, if you think they're not, that's cool. As long as I think they are and I'm proud of the work I good, did, good. I'm good. And I'm really proud of the work that um, that we all did. Because honestly, so it was my one of my really good friends' idea and she produced it with me. And we she got the whole crew together and we shot for four days in Washington Heights and it was wow. it really was we shot for very little money but we all held hands and made sure it got done and it was just an expression of love and an expression of art so what's next is uh, now that I'm an author and an actress and mm-hmm, a director mm-hmm. what's next is more art really yeah. I want to start writing for screen I want to start writing for television and for film I want to take some parts of my story and make them available to view and direct more and I'm just so excited to come into my value oh People can't see it, but I'm pumping my fist in the air right now. She's doing it. Trust me. I love what you just said. I love that. God bless you. (laughs) No, seriously. I know, you know, this is called Everybody's Got Something. Mm -hmm. And in reading your book, you have, you went through more something than I even knew that you went through. And to see you here, to stare across from you right now, this beautiful, strong, talented woman who has come into her own and will only continue to do that. You know, that's just, ah, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I just. Thank you. So, you know, you were, you were, you were one of my first five interviewers. Mm. And I remember it so, I remember it so vividly. I remember what you were wearing and where we were. And I, 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 I admired you for so long and it was such a huge deal to be interviewed by you and it felt like that's when I felt like what I'm doing is real and what I'm doing is good yeah with you and and you still have that feeling don't you I hope I do I really do I never lose that because that's that was the fear I had when that first time I sat down I want it because you're just wide-eyed and just looking around and just absorbing it. And I've seen so many people who come into the show. You told and they, me to stay who I am. I know I you did. did. I, <laughs> I, because, I, I You know, because it's so refreshing. And I know it's very difficult. But the beauty of it is, and this is the truth, and I heard this from Miss Winfrey years ago, that fame and fortune does not change who you are. It just accentuates the person that's there to begin with. Mm-hmm. And because... At your root and your soul, you're a good person, Gabourey. <laughs> and so now that you have all of this coming your way, you're even able to do more good. I, I often, I often, I love the prayer of Jabez um, about increasing my territory, not because I want more, because it allows me to do more good, yeah. and that's what it's all about. Yay! Okay, before we leave, don't blink, don't think. This is a fishbowl. It's the highlight of everybody's got something. This is the way. This is why people. Get this podcast. So you just stick your hand in here. You don't think, you don't, that's all handless, baby, don't be. Oh, you should see her right now. Oh, just, I always get people off. You know what I'm thinking? <laughs> don't curse, don't curse, don't, don't curse, don't curse, don't okay, curse. Okay, okay. Yeah, what is it? So I say, 
Name one movie you can watch over and over again, and it is The Color Purple. Oh, yeah? That's easy. Why? What yeah. is it? I, I, I agree with I you. I just... You okay? So I've also read The Color Purple over and over again. I This is a really good thing that I used to do when I was really depressed. <laughs> I would watch The Color Purple, and I would appreciate my life much more than I did Oh, before. yes. And I just... You know, and the beauty, the... Like, what... It's just, It must be a sin to walk past The Color Purple and not notice its beauty and there's something there's so much beauty all around us it does it does help that purple is also my favorite color yeah but it's i mean there's so much that we can miss that 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 is the glory of who we are yes glory of humanity it's a glorious society i mean like we can talk about the bad stuff all day long but there are very good things that happen to us and that Mm. we get to experience every day and it is a sin to not take notice of that and that's what the color purple is about yay I'm just, I, I just, I, I'm just I, I can just talk to you. I really don't I, mean to be No, 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 but, okay, this is the last one. Okay. Now, uh, okay, this was in the fishbowl, and this is my Alex, uh, my Alex, Alex, my producer. Mm-hmm. She really wanted you to pick this one, so I, I'm okay. Gonna, okay, this is one she was hoping <laughs> you, you would pick, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, go what? ahead, read it, read it. First of all, okay, so the, the question is, what member of NSYNC would you want to get stuck in an elevator with? <laughs> This is so complicated. <laughs> Woo! Because you love you some sync. Okay, so first of all, okay. Were you really thinking about this? Because what? I, okay, so Where to like, go, Alex? Woo, woo, I'm sweating. My eyeballs are sweating. <laughs> because I, um, I once was invited, I was invited to Lance Bass's wedding. Ooh. And I had to be convinced to go because I knew my favorite. Like, I love Lance. Uh-huh. But he's not necessarily the one I wanted to be. Um, which is what I'm guessing what a favorite is and so and I, I knew that he your was going interpretation, to be my interpretation. interpretation I knew he was going to be there and I was like I can't do it and my friend Jesse was like look you have to do this you idiot you have to go you have to go you have to go and I went and um, it was really really great but I feel like it's too much pressure to be stuck in the elevator with my favorite um, so I would choose Lance Bass because there's no pressure oh. <laughs> and I'm like just because there's no pressure I mean like when I tell okay so my favorite is is JC Shazay oh, yeah, I, 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 I knew it was I knew it I mean, knew he's, it he's my he's so beautiful <laughs> he's so beautiful <laughs> oh. Robin <laughs> he's so beautiful <laughs> but he um there's too much pressure there. Okay. I would just turn into an SNL character. I can't wow. handle it. I can't handle it. Woo. But um, Lance, I'd like. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's he's a friend, and he feel uh, he's. There's no pressure there. He's good. It's got to be Lance, just because I can't take the pressure. I can't take it. I know why Alex wanted you to read that. Wow, I wasn't expecting. Robin, uh, he's so beautiful. I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? I, 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 I'm gonna love. I'm love you. I'm gonna love you. <laughs> I probably going to love you. <laughs> Snorting it all. We'll see y'all. Oh, come on. What's not to love about Gabby? So, Mandisa is joining us next week. I'm very excited about that. She's a Grammy Award-winning singer who is back and better than ever with a refueled passion for music. She went through a very tough time with the passing of her dear friend. Not many people know about this. And she opens up in a very heartfelt conversation about how she got through it all and how she is doing today. And she also has a very special announcement. 
In the meantime, we would love to hear from you, our listeners. Just leave us a review and let us know what you like and what we could do better. And hey, while you're there, let us know what your something is. You know, everybody's got something. Let us know what yours is. And we might want to talk to you for one of our episodes. You never know. But for now, it is time to sign off. And before we go, I want to give a shout out to my podcast posse, John, Alex, Rennie, Josh, Jade, and Danielle, and my entire team at Rockin' Robin Productions, GMA, and ABC Radio that contribute to this podcast. I'm Robin Roberts. Yep, going to say it again this season. Hot mess, still blessed. See you next time.